The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us, our services are Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We would love for you to be our guests. We hope you consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting the donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. What's up, 11 a.m.? How you guys doing? Welcome to church. I'm glad you're here. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm glad that you made it this Super Bowl Sunday. Open up your Bibles, or you can take out your phones. I want you to open up to Habakkuk chapter 1. I want to read this passage as we start off uh, this morning together. It says in verse 8, Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Go Broncos, right? Tis the word of the Lord, he has spoken. I'm just the messenger, so what can I say? Broncos fans, where are you at? Where are you at? Broncos fans? Panther fans? Oh, a little better, a little better. So first service, you guys were healthy. Wednesday night, there was none of you in the room. So anyway, hey, we're glad that you're here. Thanks for coming. We'll get you out, out of here right on time. Uh, and so welcome to our last week of The Struggle. Uh, this has been a great series, a really challenging series for me personally. Um, I, I hope you've been able to be authentic and be yourself as you've come to church. And uh, last week was a really challenging week. I think we ventured from uh, authenticity into vulnerability. And uh, people like to be sort of selectively authentic and to, to real, reveal parts of themselves um, in a way that feels comfortable. But then there's, there's these moments where, okay, I am putting myself out there and becoming vul vulnerable. And, and I don't know how you do in those situations. That's hard for me, but it's always good for me. And so I hope you've had some good conversations and some good talks with people and uh, been honest. Uh, next week, we launch into a new series called Unstumped. And we're going to spend four weeks talking about Jesus. Uh, we talk a lot about Jesus as a church, but we're going to spend four weeks identifying who Jesus is and who he was and who he is to us. And so by the end of those four Four weeks, I think that you'll be able to explain Jesus uh, better than you ever have been able to. And, and this whole idea came out of this uh, realization that uh, most people, when you sit down with them and you ask them, who is Jesus, uh, don't really have that many good answers, you know? Like, like, you need to be able to explain who he is, who he was, and how he's changed your life. And so we're going to talk about the, the four different ways we think Jesus impacts us here uh, today. And it's going to be amazing. So come back for that. Excited for that. But this week, uh, I've entitled, um, I've Got My Doubts. I've Got My Doubts. And I don't know if you're the kind of person that doubts yourself or the decisions you've made, or you find yourself making uh, split-second choices and judgments, and then later you realize you were completely off, uh, this is the story of my life. I feel like my entire life has been a journey of moments of arrogance and forced humility. Anybody else with me on that? So like, okay, so moments of arrogance and forced humility. I think I've got it. I think I understand something, and then I realize I don't got it. I don't understand it. I've got a long ways to go and a lot of things to learn. And I've got a lot of moments where I feel like I've totally missed the boat. Um, Amanda, my wife and I, when we were first dating, 
uh, we were in Cheyenne, Wyoming at the church there, and we'd go to church together and sit in the back, and this was a really full Sunday, um, and there was a lady sitting up in the front of the room, and she had her newborn little baby girl. And so she's sitting there, and then in the middle of the sermon, the little baby starts kind of squeaking and squawking, and, uh, but it's cute. Like, you know, it's the cute squeaking and squawking, like, oh, the moms are looking over. She's so sweet. But then a couple minutes later, this kid is freaking out like somebody bit off a finger. I mean, just like freaking out, and the mom's just like, oh, yeah, yeah. amen. Amen. Not like not moving. And I'm in the back and, uh, you know, I'm 20 and I don't have kids. I don't want to think about kids. Kids drive me crazy at this age. You know, like I just I'm not a big fan of kids. And so I'm getting kind of frustrated. I'm like, why isn't she doing something about this? And, you know, and uh, then I look up front and she grabs this blanket and she pulls it out and she covers the baby and the baby goes silent. And I'm like, wow. That was amazing. And I'm, I'm like elbowing Amanda like, did you see that? She's like, Sh shut up. You know, like, like, did you see what just happened? That was crazy. I'm like, if we ever have kids, we have got to get one of those blankets. <laughs> I'm, I'm dead serious, you guys. And I, like, I'm like, we've got to get one of those blankets. And she like, she's like, do you, you do know what she's doing, don't you? And I'm like, I'm thinking like, like a puppy, if you cover its eyes, it feels safe or something. You know, like the child is covered and feels secure. She's like, she's feeding the baby. And I'm like, she's, she's, what? I'm like, you do that in church? People, are you serious? Some of you are like, I'm doing it right now. But she's like, it's okay. But I was like, I was totally, this was totally foreign to me. I had no idea. And I'm, so the joke from then on was like the magic blanket, you know, like we need to get a magic blanket if we ever have kids. But it's, this is like, this is the story of my life. I think I understand something. And then I realize I don't, I think I had it right. And I don't have it right at all. And so in our journeys, we're going to mess it up a lot. We're going to have to be humbled. Uh, we're going to be able to have to be people that apologize when we screw it up and are willing to learn and to move forward. Um, and of all the things that we get wrong, there's one thing that I think that we don't, uh, can't afford to get wrong, and that's the thing that we put our faith in. What is it today that you're putting your faith in? Because the implications and impacts of that are not just temporary, but I believe eternal. And so we want to put our faith in the right thing. So could we pray together? As we start off, Jesus, thank you for this church. Thank you for the people in this room that we could all be here together. Uh, God, thank you for the Broncos. We pray your grace and blessing on them today. Um, God, we, uh, we, we thank you that uh, we, can, we can get together safely here uh, as a church and just bring to you our hearts and all of our concerns and all of our fears. Um, God, I know in, in our church and in our state, there's a lot of unrest right now. Uh, financially speaking, there's a lot of concern. There's a lot of movement and transition happening, happening around us, God. And, and I, I, I ask, God, that you would be evident and make yourself known uh, to everybody in this room who, who finds themselves in a situation where they are wrestling with you. Maybe they're struggling with trust and struggling to believe, God, that you're with them and for them. So, Father, we pray that you could be here uh, and change us. I pray we'd interact with you, the living God, today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to drink a lot of water. I've been wrestling with a sore throat. Anybody else sick? I'm telling you, it's just like going around. But we're going to talk about our doubts today. Um, and throughout this series, we've been asking this question, uh, different questions, and asking you to raise your hands and admit to struggling with different things. And so here's the question of the day. If you're a Christian here today, I want you to raise your hand if you have ever wrestled doubting God. 
Okay, so look around. The entire room, right? So the entire room raised their hand. If, if you're uh, the kind of person who has doubted God, um, chances are that you've at times felt alone in that. Felt like maybe there's something wrong with me. Why would I doubt God? Uh, you know, is that okay? Um, is that a problem? And, and should I hide it? Should I be honest about it? You know, maybe you came up in a, in a very uh, strict religious home and uh, you never asked questions. You just sort of take things at face value and you were told, like, you, this is what you believe, son. This is what you believe, daughter. And, uh, and you receive that and you don't ask questions. But at some point in your life, um, you've probably wrestled with doubt. You've probably found yourself going, I need answers for these questions that are welling up in my mind and in my soul. I've had a lot of doubts in my life. Um, as a pastor, uh, I doubt myself every single week. Just confessing that. Every time I come up here to teach you to share the word, I doubt myself. I doubt God. I, I wrestle with like, okay, God, do you have anything to say? Um, about a year ago, I stepped into this role as the lead pastor at the church, and boy, did I doubt myself. Um, and, and maybe you've been in situations like that where you, you find yourself really uh, lost in your doubt and unable to deal with it. Um, it, it was interesting. I, I, I wasn't sure if this was the right step for me. I was leading worship. Some of you were like, you, you, lead, you play music? Because um, you've never seen me play music. But that was my thing for a lot of years is doing the music stuff. And I, I was like, is this right for me? Should I do this? Um, and I really wrestled with God and had my doubts that this would be a good thing for me. Um, I found myself really praying and, and coming to terms with the fact that if I was going to be the next guy leading at ACF Church, um, there's a chance that I was going to be the guy to run the ship into the rocks, you know, that this whole thing could go downhill um, in, underneath my leadership or um, in this next season. Sometimes churches can get sort of into a, a, a mode of like it's always up and to the right. And uh, ACF Church in the past six years has gone from 30 people to about 1,000 people on a, on a weekend. And, and that's, that's just a movement of God in our city, which is crazy to me. And so for me to come into this as uh, a 33-year-old going, God, I don't feel like I'm equipped. I don't feel like I'm the right guy. Pick somebody else. I was wrestling like, okay, I got to be okay with whatever happens next. Like, we don't know what's coming in the church. We don't know what's coming in our city. And there's a lot of struggle and doubt there. And so I wrestled with that, but here's what I had. I had a conviction. I had a conviction that this was what God wanted me to do. And sometimes, and you guys have been through things like this probably, where that's all you have. That's all you have. For me, I had a lot of people cheering me on. Brian, I think that you should do this. I think this is a gift that you have. I think that you're the right person. Um, but some of you don't have that. In fact, maybe in your life, everybody around you seems to be tearing you down. And saying, and I don't think this is the right thing for you. What are you thinking? You know, you're trying to start a new business. Uh, you're trying to get a new job. Maybe you just moved up to Alaska. And they're like, uh, you're crazy. Why would you do this? And you, you've got all this, this wrestling that happens. At some point, you take a step forward. And for most of us, the only thing that you have is conviction. Conviction that this is just the right thing to do. And that's been my story. Um, I, I, I've seen God work through that. And he's been so faithful as we are faithful to him. So I want to I parse this out a little bit. There's two pieces, I think, of this that I want to I separate. Because I think we throw everything into the junk drawer term of doubt. Um, so two things, doubt and unbelief. I want to talk about doubt. I want to talk about unbelief. 
And I want to separate those two concepts because unbelief is different than doubt. Unbelief is really, it's a different thing than doubt. Unbelief refers to a willful refusal to believe or a deliberate decision to disobey God. That's unbelief. And some of you are in this room today and you're like, that's me, Brian. Um, I don't obey God because I don't believe in God. And so if I were to describe myself, I would say I'm not an unbeliever. I'm a believer, but I wrestle with bouts of unbelief. If you looked at my life, what you would see are, is a man who's trying to do the right thing, trying to lead his family well, trying to follow God, trying to, to, to lead in this church as well as he can. But if you looked at every decision I made, what you'd see is there are areas and moments in my life where I don't really believe God's way is better. Can we be honest about that? Can you be honest about that? That you might say, Brian, no, I'm a believer. I believe in God. I believe that his way is better. But if you look honestly at your life, would your decisions and your lifestyle reflect that you believe that God's way is better? Ultimately, in the end. So there's unbelief. And then there's something called doubt. And doubt, I would describe, uh, is to be indecisive or uncertain. Which is different. Do you see how those things are different? There's unbelief, but then there's indecision and uncertainty. And my life's full of that. My life is full of indecision and uncertainty where I'm going, here's what I'm going to do, but I've got my doubts. I've got my doubts. Here's what I know is right. Here's where we're going. Uh, from, the, from the first day that I got up on this platform and said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to teach. I'm going to try to share God's word, share a little bit about my life. There's been indecision and doubt going, okay, is this going to work out? Is this going to be good for people, good for me? Um, so I, I'd equate it to this. A few weeks ago, we went ice fishing for the first time this year. And we took our four-wheelers way out to this lake in the middle of nowhere. And uh, we came off the trail onto the lake and I was immediately confronted with the reality that I'm driving on water, <laughs> which, which is just weird. If you've ever done this, you're like, here I am. I'm driving on, you know, what in a few months will be just water. And so the first thing I did is I got out on the water and I peeled my way over to the, to the, to the edge of the lake. And so now I'm driving and I'm thinking, okay, well, if I fall through... Um, it's not going to be so bad because it's probably only a few feet deep over here. And so, you, you know, you mill around on the side, and then I got a little more gutsy, and I'm coming out, you know, 15, 20 feet from the edge. And then finally, you know, I just committed, right? And here I am buzzing across the middle of the lake, 50 miles an hour, just flat out, having a great time. But the whole time, I'm sort of weighing the risk, I'm weighing the risk, and, and as I get out of the lake, I'm thinking, okay, so how cold has it been this year? Uh, how long does it take for ice to freeze, and how you know, much does it freeze based on the temperature? I don't know how to equate all that. I don't know the, the math equation to make that work out, but I'm trying to figure out, like, is this a safe thing to do? And, and obviously, at some point, I said, it's worth the risk. It's worth the risk. Haven't heard any stories of people falling through the lake. I don't see any, like, trucks sticking halfway out of the water, so it feels... Like, this is a good thing to do. And I want you to connect that to your faith because I think that true faith in God doesn't ignore the evidence, it weighs it. True faith in God doesn't ignore the evidence, it weighs it. Now, this might fly in the face of, uh, for some of you, of the way that you've heard about Christianity um, or maybe the way that you've brought up, been brought up. Because I think there's sort of a stigma about the church and about Christians that to believe in God, you must close your eyes to the facts. 
You have to close your eyes to the facts. You don't investigate. You don't look for the truth. You actually have to close your eyes to, to the truth to be a Christian because obviously it takes faith. But the, but the truth is we do this all the time. We're always weighing the facts. We're weighing the evidence. Some of you here are going like, I just graduated high school. Do I go to college? And so then you're weighing that. You're going, okay, here's this friend over here. They didn't go to college. They started up a business. They're making all kinds of money. They have a really nice house, and uh, you know, life's pretty good for them. Maybe I don't need it. And then you've got this friend over here who went to four years of college, and you know, now they're, they're working happily at Carl's Jr. or something. And you're like, okay, so maybe they're not using their education. Um, do I need it? And so you're trying to decide. You're weighing the evidence. You might think, should we go out camping this weekend or should we go out fishing or something? And maybe it's sunny outside, but then you go on the weather channel and the lady's like, it's going to snow or it's going to rain. And so at that point you go, is it worth the risk? Because I think that life is like this. It's a series of calculated risks. We're always dealing with risk and our faith is no different. Hebrews 11.1 1, says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And the writer of Hebrews is helping us see that there are people throughout the history of the church who have believed in God for, for things and, and just trusted that he's going to do certain things, that he's going to come through, that his way is better. But I love the word assurance and conviction. What he's not saying here is that faith is the absence of doubt. Faith is not the absence of doubt. No more than courage is the absence of fear. You see what I'm saying? You can be courageous and have fear, can't you? Have you ever been courageous? And yet, you're a little scared. Some of the most courageous people you've ever met have fear. So it's the same way as somebody who says, I have faith in God. It doesn't mean that you don't have your doubts. It just means you have the conviction of things that you can't see. You have weighed the evidence. You have looked at the world around you. You've looked in your daughter's eyes. You've looked at the science. And you just say to yourself, I think there's a God. Then you've studied the Bible. And you look at the history of the Bible. And you look at the prophecy of the Bible. And you, you, you compare that to, to the history of the world. You say, I think this could be true. And then you, you, you impart it on your life. And you start to live by it. And you start to see the transforming it happens through living according to God's word. And you, you start to think, this could be the truth. But then at some point what happens is you run into a problem and everything is tested. You run into an issue and you're like, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I believe what I said I believe. I want to talk about this guy named John the Baptist. And uh, John the Baptist was talked about by the prophet Isaiah as the one who would come and herald the way for Christ. He was given a really big job to come, and he was called the forerunner of Christ, the one who would come talking about sort of letting people know, sort of like the little ship, letting people know the big ship was coming. So John the Baptist was talking about Christ, um, and he was the one who would explain to people that the Messiah is coming. So open up to Luke 7, Luke 7, verse 18. It says this, the, the disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Okay, so what just happened? So John calls two of his disciples, his followers, two buddies together. And he's like, hey guys, I've got a message to send 
the message is to Jesus, are you the one who is to come? Are you really the Messiah? Did I get the right guy? Was I pointing to the right guy? Valid question if you've spent your entire life telling everybody that the Messiah is coming and here he is. It's pretty important that that's the right guy. Now, now what's going on here? What you might not know is that John the Baptist is in prison. And he's been in prison for about a year at this point. And life's kind of a mess for him at this point. I don't know uh, how long you've spent in prison. Um, I've never been there. But uh, I'd imagine after a year, it'd be pretty bad. Uh, after a year of sitting there, you'd start to wonder, what do I believe? Especially if you are imprisoned for what you believe. So here's John the Baptist in prison, probably having some wrestling with doubt, probably struggling with what he believes. So John, what I love about the first, the first thing that I see here is that John is doubting, but he's not passive aggressive about it. He's not acting like he believes something that he doesn't believe. He's like, I'm not so sure Jesus is the Messiah. Would you go and ask him? Let's just go straight to him, which I think is beautiful because there are way too many people that don't really believe this stuff, but act like they do. Like if you looked, again, if you looked at your life and you looked at how you live, you'd say, okay, there's some, there's some evidence here that I don't really believe what I think I believe. John the Baptist says, no, I don't really believe it at all. I'm going to actually go to Jesus and ask him, are you the one? It's a great question to ask, but here's Here's the thing about John. John has seen some stuff. John, John should have some evidence in his back pocket to help deal with this situation. In Matthew 3, we read about how John baptized Jesus. Cool opportunity, right? If you're going to baptize people, it'd be pretty cool to, to baptize God himself. Awesome opportunity. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. So John is like, God wants me to baptize him. That's a big deal. I don't feel like I'm worthy of that. He said, Nope, I want you to do this. Verse 16, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. What a cool moment, right? What a great moment. So you get to baptize Jesus. He comes out of the water and then the, the clouds open up. I don't know what this looked like, but the Spirit of God comes out of the heavens like a dove. I, Sounds pretty awesome. And then like the sky opens and like in a Morgan Freeman voice, it's like, this is my son, right? I'm pleased with you. So you, you hear this voice from the heavens. This is what John is experiencing. Amazing opportunity that John gets to be a part of. How cool is that? This is the kind of thing John has seen. Here's the thing about Israel and God's people and John. It's all a story of seeing God and then doubting him. Don't you ever get, get like a little frustrated with the Israelites as you read about God's people? And you're like, did you see what God just did for you? You were enslaved in Egypt. God sent plagues, all kinds of crazy stuff, you know. It, it turned the water to blood. There's frogs and gnats. It's just crazy. And then finally, Pharaoh lets you go. 
And now, now God's with you. He's giving you food. He's giving you water and protection. And then at, at some point, you get a little sick of God not acting the way that you want him to. And they say, God, would you just send us back? Would you just send us back to our slavery? At least we had like beds to sleep in. That was, a, that was, a, that was better than what we're experiencing now. It's the story of God's people to see God come through and then ultimately to reject him. God says, don't worship other things. I'm going to come through for you. He comes through for them. They end up building idols. They worship those things. And so you just read this story from our end, you know, looking back at history and we're like, what were they thinking? And then you think of our own lives. We think of the moments that God has shown up and then we have rejected him. I feel like you can call it something like faith fatigue. Faith fatigue. Do you ever get faith fatigue? Where you think, I believed this stuff at one point, and I was sure that God uh, was there. And I remember this moment that I said to myself, how could I ever not believe in God? How could I ever doubt this God? But now looking back where I am now, I'm not sure if he's the real deal. Verse 20. And when the men had come to him, so now these two messengers come to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So, these guys show up to Jesus, the messengers, and they're like, Jesus, so the guy that's here to tell everybody that you're coming isn't really sure you're the real deal. We just wanted to ask you, um, you know, are you the Messiah? And Jesus says, you tell John to put on his big boy pants. He's a prophet. Tell him to deal with it, right? No, he's like, he's like no, send John this message. The lame are walking. The crippled are being healed. The lepers are being cleansed. The deaf are able to hear. Tell him about the miracles that are happening through me being here on earth. And remind him of what I've done. You see, Jesus, he doesn't condemn your questions. And this is a shift for you, especially if you grew up in a house where you heard this a lot. Don't question me. Did you ever hear that? Don't question me. Maybe you say that a lot. I don't know. You don't question me. Don't question my authority. And so this is in your head of like, how could one question God? If he's God of the universe, how could me, just a, a mere human being, question God? And yet right here, John the Baptist, who should be one of the most faithful men, have seen amazing miracles, come, comes to God and says, are you really the one? Are you really the one? And don't miss what happened in verse 18. I want you to just kind of flip back here. In verse 18, where we started this, it said, And the disciples of John reported all these things to him. So John's in prison. His boys show up. And, and what, what you realize here is that they had already told him about everything that Jesus had done. Like, think about this. So they show up and they tell John, Hey, John, Jesus is doing all these miracles. It's crazy. Look what's happening here. Like people are, you know, experiencing the gospel the first time. The city's getting, people are getting saved and the, the, the lives are being transformed. And John's like, hey, I got a message for Jesus. Are you the Messiah? Are you really the one? 
So these guys are like, okay. So they go back to Jesus. Jesus, John wants to know if you're the Messiah. And Jesus goes, you tell John the deaf are being you know, made to hear, that the, the, the sick are being healed, that people are getting saved. You go tell them. And so back to, you know, so I just imagine these poor guys going back and forth, like, what are we doing? We just keep saying the same thing over and over again. But the beautiful thing is, Jesus didn't give him new information. He just reminded John of what he already knew, which I think sometimes is all that we need, isn't it? Like when you're dealing with doubt, sometimes all we need is to be reminded of what we already know to be true. Some of you are like, no, I just want a miracle, then I'll believe. I just want the heavens to open up and some dove to descend down in the voice of God in my life. And then I'm going to believe that God is real. But, but the truth is, no, you won't. In that moment, you might. But give it a day. Give it a week. Give it a month. At some point, you will be confronted again with a moment where you have to have faith. And you have to, you have to weigh the evidence. And at some point, it turns into Hebrews 11 and you say, I'm just, gonna, I'm just convicted that this is true. I'm convicted the ice is thick enough to hold me. I don't have a drill. I don't have a measuring tape. I don't know, but I'm simply convicted that this is the truth. And that's, that's what happens. For Israel, here's what they would do. God commanded them when God would show up and, and, uh, and work in their lives, he would say, you know what you guys need to do? You need to build a memorial. And so they'd pile up a bunch of, bunch of stones by the road, and then every time they would walk by this pile of stones, they'd say to each other, remember what God did, you know, last year? Right there, remember that? And they're like, yeah, it's so cool, we built this pile of stones just so we could remember what God did in our lives. This was an important thing for his people to do, because God realized that people have short-term memory, don't we? Very short-term memories when it comes to God fulfilling his promises, to God coming through for us. We're like, oh yeah, that was amazing, God. And a week later, we're like, why have you forsaken me, right? Just be honest, we all do this. I do this. One moment we believe, the next minute we don't. And so he says, you need to remember, build a memorial. And essentially, that's something that we need to find a way to do in our lives just as much today as they did. How do you remember what God has done in your life? How is it that you remind yourself of what God has done? Do you write it down? I've started journaling, which I can't stand. Um, I don't like to write in things. I'm a, I'm a typer, in, but, but I need something like that I can put on my countertop at home that doesn't have a screen, that is paper, that I can just open up and remember what God has done in my life. And so I've started doing that. And it's a hard discipline, but the cool thing is when you go back, you're like, oh yeah, he does show up. Oh yeah, God is faithful. He does come through. Like, how do you remember what God has done? Because you probably remember other things in your life, don't you? You probably have ways of memorializing other things. You know, you put the, you put the college diploma on the wall and you think, that's, remember all that work I did for that little piece of paper? That's awesome, you know? Or you have a keychain from Disneyland from, you know, 12 years ago that you still have your, in your pocket. And you're like, every time I see that, I think about that fun trip to Disneyland. So we have this way of, like, we want to remember what's happened in our lives. We want to remember what God has done uh, as much as we want to remember the, the fun things that we've done. And I think this even goes beyond just the, the memorials that we build. I actually think that you were intended to be a walking memorial. Like, I, I think that 
if you're a believer here today, that God has shown up in your life and that your job then is to walk around and to be evidence of God's love and his care and, and his joy to the world. That's what we're supposed to do. Like when people see you, it's supposed to be like, wow, it's like something happened with that person. When they talk to you, it should come from your, your language and the way that you speak about your, your, your life that God has shown up in your world. And I know that this is hard sometimes because we wrestle with doubt and we don't necessarily want to, to, to say we believe when we don't, but, but our lifestyle should be evidence to the world that God shows up, that God is here. He's not some distant father somewhere out there. He is the God who puts on the skin of humanity like Jesus comes to earth and gets down in, a, in the mess with all of his people, which is a, an important thing to remember for us, especially when we're dealing with, with doubt in one way or another. You're supposed to be a walking memorial. And then our church, you know, we are, we're, we're a memorial as well. Like what we do corporately is, is showing our city that God shows up. Uh, you might have seen on Facebook, we just kind of launched all of the, uh, the promotions for our Easter egg drop. We're going to drop 30,000 Easter eggs out of the sky. It's pretty awesome. So we're excited about that. I don't know if you were there last time. We destroyed a lot of eggs. Um, but uh, we're going to do it at Eagle River High School this year. And um, it's funny. Somebody, somebody said that they were talking with a friend, and they were like, man, your church must have a lot of money. They've got their own helicopter, which is amazing. I'm like, we need a helicopter. Be that guy that travels around. Anyway, um, we don't have a helicopter, but we're renting one. And, and so the whole goal is to get our whole community out and to do something that's a free community event to show that we care about them, that we, we just want to, to have a good time and to serve our city. And, and when people see that, you know, they're a little thrown off by that. They're like, why would you do that? I mean, where can you go in our society and experience things like that for free? Most things cost money. Most things, they want something from you. For the church just to show up and say, we don't want anything from you. We just want you to show up with your kids and have a great time. People are perplexed by that. And so when they start asking questions, what they're experiencing is the church saying, you know what, everything that I have is really God's. Like everything that I've ever been given is a gift from God to give back to him. And so this is my, my way and our church's way of saying, we're just here for our city. We're just here to express to our city that God shows up in our lives, that he is faithful to us. And so our church is this memorial of God's faithfulness to the world around us, just as much as your life is a memorial of God's faithfulness to the world around us. So then, they go back with their message, sends the disciples back to John to tell him about all the great things Jesus has done again. And in this moment, Jesus takes this opportunity to talk to the crowd that's, that's gathered around. So this is probably an awkward moment. You got Jesus, a bunch of people, a bunch of religious leaders. The, the two disciples show up and they're like, hey, your, your boy John the Baptist doesn't believe that you're the Messiah. <laughs> awkward. And so what do you think we should tell him? And Jesus is like, tell him everything that he already knows. And then they leave and you got all the religious leaders like, told you. And Jesus turns around and uh, when, when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are kings in courts. So Jesus addresses all these people along with the religious leaders and he's like, what did you expect from John? 
You thought he'd be perfect? You thought he wasn't a human being like any of you? You thought he'd never doubt or struggle or wrestle? He's in prison. What did you expect? A guy that would be ever shaken by the wind? We're all shaken by the wind. We all struggle sometimes. What did you expect? A guy that's just going to put on really nice clothes, look all holy for you, which would have been a jab at the guy standing over here wearing really nice clothes, looking very holy. Jesus loved to do stuff like that. He's like, what did you expect? John's a human being. He's a, he's a man who wrestles with his doubt. And this is what I want for you today. I want you to be men and women who are willing to wrestle with your doubt. I think it's absolutely essential that you deal with your doubt. I think developing a robust faith demands that you deal with your doubt. You have to deal with it. It's key to you actually having strong faith. Uh, the author Tim Keller, um, he says this, a faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about what they believe, as they do, will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. So what we're saying here is that you need to wrestle with your doubts so that you can deal with, with struggle, so that you can deal with tragedy, so that you can have a robust, strong faith. And I think that we, we intuitively know this, but we don't really know how to deal with our doubts. We're not really sure what the next step is. I think we know we need to wrestle with these things in the church. I think it's an important, I think that's what people want in the church. They just want a place that people can be honest about their questions and their doubts, where a whole crowd of people can raise their hands and say, I doubt God. Just, you know, every service was exactly the same. Everybody doubts. So that means we have to be able to wrestle through it together. I hope if you're here today and you're not a Christian, that you see that and you're like, wait a minute, um, maybe religious people are after the truth just as much as I am. Maybe they wrestle too. Maybe, maybe they're not blindly walking through life. They're actually trying to find the truth as much as any person is. I hope that we're that, we're that community. Wrestle with your doubt. Wrestle with it so that you can have strong faith. Just as much as, have you ever just been through a really difficult fight with a friend? I mean, you just threw down. It was hard. And, and you, maybe, maybe you were yelling, maybe you were screaming, maybe it was a really difficult conversation, but you made it through it and you came together at the end, you know, and if you're a couple dudes, you kind of hugged it out, you got to hug it out at the end, you know, do the back pat, and then they walk away, you walk away, and you think to yourself, I think we're stronger than ever. I think, I think that I'd go to the moon for that guy, like, or maybe your wife or your husband. And you have a difficult conversation, a difficult fight, and it stinks. Maybe it's a whole season. Maybe it's months. But you get to the other side, and you both have fought it out. And you said, no, this is worth it. This is worth it. We're going we're gonna to figure this out. And you got to the other side, and you said, man, I don't know if anything could break us apart. Like, if that didn't kill me, I'm not sure anything can. And I think the same is true with your faith in God, because when you wrestle with your doubts, don't wait for the rug to be pulled out from underneath you to wrestle with your doubts. Just wrestle with them. Be honest about them. And I think that you're going to have a stronger faith. Verse 26. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I who tell you, and more than a prophet. 
I tell you, uh, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written. So he's going to quote Malachi. Behold, I sent my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So he first affirms John, and he tells all of these religious leaders, he's like, hey, uh, John is the one. He is the one who is prophesied. Just because he's shaking around a little bit right now doesn't mean he's my, that he's not my man. He's, he is the man. He's the one that, that was prophesied about. Then he goes on to talk about who John is, and he talks about these people in the kingdom of God. And this is a big concept. But there's this idea that Jesus shows up and ushers in the reign of God on earth. The kingdom of God. John, he had this little bit of understanding of who Jesus was. But it was more than anybody before him. And so he's the one, he's the herald, the forerunner to say, Jesus is coming. But Je- and Jesus is like, John is a great man. I mean, he's, he was one of the best men. He understood things better than anybody before him. But he says, now there's all of you who are here, who see me face to face, who've seen my miracles, who've seen me come through for you. And I mean, even the least of you, you have a deeper understanding of who I am as the Messiah than anybody before you, because here I am, right in front of you. And I don't know if we catch how big of a deal this is, because like you didn't choose to be around in 2016, right? Like it was chosen for you. You got born when you were born. None of us said, I want to get born in 1985. Like, you were born when you were born, and here you are. And so you have a perspective on history that people before Jesus couldn't have had. You can, you can actually read the story of Jesus coming to earth. And as the Israelites, they had to come to Jesus through this other mediator, through a priest. They had, this, they, they had these tents where, where the, the presence of God would reside. And now we have this way of meeting with God, and we don't go to a priest, we go straight to him. Which, if you're a Catholic, from a Catholic background or a Jewish background, this is a shift for you. Like, when you come up here and you see communion, you're kind of like, can I just take that? Just, I just grab one and I can just do it? Or, or, or maybe you're like, I messed up big time this week. I gotta, I gotta confess to somebody. And we're like, go to God. Like, I mean, you can tell us, if, but, but we're not going to help you any better than anybody else. Like, you can tell us if we, if we can be an encouragement to you, but we're not going to make you right before God. You just got to go to God. He's going to make you right through Jesus. Jesus is our mediator. He's the one that gets us access to God. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing, but we, we don't really have that perspective of what life would be like without it. So he's basically simply throwing this little thing in there that, hey, you guys have me right in front of your eyes. Will you recognize who I am? in what I bring to you. What an amazing opportunity. What an amazing privilege we have every single week. Verse 29, when all the people heard this and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation and what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Okay, what just happened? (laughs) 
It's a good thing as you're reading through the Bible, just ask yourself, what just happened? There's a lot going on here. But Jesus basically talks about two different kinds of people. And I would say in the room today are probably two different kinds of people. And he, he uses an illustration because Jesus, he's a great storyteller. And he has great illustrations. He wants to make it real for people. And children would have been playing in the streets all over in that time, you know. And he said, uh, it's kind of like these kids out in the street. So you've got these, these children running around. They've got a flute, and they're playing a happy song. And then there's this kid over here, and they're like, hey, come sing with us. We're going to sing a happy song. We're going to play a happy song. And there's the kid over here, and he's like, I don't want to sing a happy song. Happy songs are stupid. I'm going to play happy songs. And then the kids are like, okay, we won't sing a happy song. We're going to sing a sad song. Like, we're going to play a sad song. How's that? And the guys over here are like, sad songs are dumb. Sad songs are stupid. I don't, I don't need to play sad songs. You guys just play on your own. And he's comparing these religious leaders to that kid. He's saying essentially, like, it doesn't matter what happens in front of you. If you don't want to have faith, you won't. If you don't want to believe, if you're not willing to say, I'm convicted that this is true, with your doubts and with your questions, whatever's in front of you, just to say, I know I've got doubts and questions, but I'm going to take a step. I'm going to say, I believe in this. If you're not willing to do that, then you just won't. So stop blaming God for not showing up or, or not giving you access. He has given you access. He has showed up. He's saying, like, no matter what happens, he's like, John the Baptist shows up, and he lives this life of sacrificial living. He doesn't eat very much. He doesn't drink very much. And you're like, I don't know what's wrong with that guy. He's got some kind of demon inside of him. He doesn't want to eat like he seems sick or something. Jesus shows up. He eats really good. And then he hangs out with sinners and drunk people. And they're like, man, what's up with Jesus? What a messed up guy that is. He's just a drunk like the rest of them. It's like no matter what's in front of these guys, they won't see it for what it is. So where are you today? Are you a doubter? Or are you an unbeliever? Which camp would you say that you're in? Are you, are you willing to, to be honest if you're a believer with your unbelief? Are you willing to say, I have unbelief in my life. I look at this area in my life, I don't really trust God. I don't believe his way is better. John had this moment of doubt, but what we know about John is that he ended up believing. We know that because right after this, John was beheaded for his faith. He ends up dying for what he believes. So though he wrestled, though he struggled, he believed and paid the ultimate price for what he believed. So are you a doubter or an unbeliever? If you're a doubter, here's what I want you to do. Very simple. Just take a step. Take a step. Figure out a way, and I'm sure God's going to make it really clear, for you to show that you trust God and just see if he might show up for you. Like, what does it look like for you to take a step instead of standing there in fear and not moving and saying, God, if you would just show up, I would move. God's saying, I am here. Move. I'm here. Would you just take a step, figure out what it is? Instead of just asking God to, to show up and do something, he, he might be saying, take a step and I, and I will. You know, maybe you, you, we talked about depression a few weeks ago. Maybe you're struggling with depression in one way or another. And you're like, God, would you heal me from my depression? But you spend all day sitting inside eating Doritos. Like, get outside. Go get a hobby. Spend some time at a life group. Come to church. Get involved. Give of yourself. See if God might show up so that you can be healed of your depression. 
take a step. Maybe you're here and you're like, yeah, Brian, um, you talked about the, the, the financial thing, you know, with the egg drop. I'd say I don't trust God with my finances right now. And, and I'm, I would trust him if he just gave me a lot of money. <laughs> and I'd trust him. If my bank account was just overflowing, I'd be like, man, I trust you, God. Look, at, look what you did for me. Maybe God's saying, take a step. Take a step of faith and, and see if I won't show up in your life. See if I won't supply everything that you need. Maybe you're here today and you're like, Brian, I'm single and I don't know if God's ever going to find the right person for me. But you, you, you never go on a date. Go out on a date, you know, like get out there, get out in the community, meet some people. Like there, there's some steps that you may be able to take to see if God might show up. But instead of sitting there, I think he wants you to move. He wants you to test the water. And if you're an unbeliever, here's what I want you to consider doing. Just ask yourself the question, am I convicted that there is a God? Am I convicted that this God is seen in human form through Jesus, that Jesus was God himself? Am I convicted that I need to be saved and that Jesus is probably the way to get saved? Do you realize that that's all it takes to be saved? Do you realize that's all it takes to become a follower of Jesus? It's not like I've got it figured out and I don't have a doubt in my mind that Jesus is the one. Because you just saw 30 minutes ago, everybody doubts. Every one of us. And I sure hope that that doesn't mean we're all not saved. So it's that simple today. If you're here and you're like, yeah, Brian, I just really haven't, I haven't walked into this. I want to encourage you. You can make that decision right now. You can say, all right, I'm in. Take me with my doubts, God, but I'm in. Let's pray together. God, you've been so faithful in my own life and uh, I just confess I have a really short memory. And God, I, uh, God, I'm afraid to trust you. God, I also know that you have the best in mind for me. God, everything that I do for you or stop doing for you is always the better way. And I know that to be true, God, and yet I still doubt. God, I, I want to pray over this room. God, over the doubters. God, that we would all know what the step is as we leave church today, as we go off into the craziness of football day and all that, God, that, that we would still walk away with a, with a conviction that you are with us and you are good. And whatever this next step might be, God, that you will come through for us. And we will have a story where we can pile stones up and remind ourselves and others of how faithful you truly are. God, I pray for the unbeliever in the room here today who's been resisting walking in to a relationship with you because they've got doubts and questions. But God, I would pray you'd give them a conviction of how real you are and how loving you are. And a conviction to the point, God, that they would step out onto the ice they begin to trust you with their lives. And God, we're going to worship you. We're going to thank you for all you've done in our lives. We're going to take communion and remember um, as a memorial your sacrifice for us. God, and we're going to leave this place as your people on mission to a city that desperately needs to hear about you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.